you know, um, uh, when I was a young kid, I went on several different mission trips. And there's a question I want you to just kind of mull over in your mind. I don't want to really discuss this. I just kind of want you to think about this. Uh, some of you, maybe you're familiar with mission trips. Maybe you've been on one. But I'd like you to think about this question in the back of your mind before we look at what the Scripture says. Is how is being a missionary... How is being a missionary different from going on a mission trip? How is being a missionary different from from going on a mission trip? And how is going on a mission trip different from being a missionary? I'm going to get to this a little bit later in the message. I want to make a couple of comments about this. Uh, I went on my first mission trip when I was 16 years old. Uh, I went to Estes Park, Colorado. It was, there were probably, I don't know, there were like 30 or 40 high school students from across the country that we went on this trip together. Uh, We were there for about two months. I worked at a little place called the Yum Yum Hut. Uh, on uh, it was on by the dam of Lake Estes there, and uh, I washed dishes, and that's kind of what I did to help defer expenses. And then in the evenings and on the weekends, we did a lot of street evangelism, and uh, we'd go out talk to tourists, stuff like that. When I was 18, I went on a similar mission trip uh, to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and uh, worked at Piggly Wiggly. That was great. Uh, and uh, we did a whole lot of beach evangelism. We also did a lot of going into campgrounds. Some of our guys were mu- musically inclined, uh, not me, uh, but uh, some of the guys were really musically inclined. So we'd go in, we'd set up, do like a concert, invite people to it, and then we'd usually have one of our people, maybe a couple, who would share a little bit of their uh, hope story, how they have found hope in Christ, and then one of us would do a, a short uh, reason for our hope talk. And in that summer, uh, again, probably 30, 40 uh, college students from across the country. Uh, that summer, we led a little over 500 people to Christ. Uh, so it was, it was pretty spectacular. And I got to see God work through me in a way that uh, it just, it was, it blew me away that God could work and work through someone like me. Um, my next mission trip was to the Philippines. I was 19 years old. Uh, when I went to the Philippines, it was a little bit more challenging, a little bit more challenging, not just because, uh, not just because it was a different culture and all, but uh, I, we, a, a lot of my team members, it was a smaller team, I think there were about 15 of us total, but a lot of our team uh, members had amoebic dysentery, and so we were extremely sick. And it did not, well, I was going to say it did not pass, it did not stop passing until we left, Okay. <laughs> It was bad. Uh, what was really hard for me was about, for about two weeks, I went to a period of time where I went nights not sleeping. And so I was just at this place of complete exhaustion, physical depletion. And uh, it was just, it was hard. It was tough. I mean, God did a really neat work in my life while I was there. Uh, God did a neat work through us, but it was a lot more challenging. Then I went on my fourth uh, missionary journey to Eastern Europe, Okay. And uh, in Eastern Europe, uh, it was, I'll explain the pictures in a moment, all right? Uh, when I was in Eastern Europe, this was back in 1980, 1981. Okay, 1980, 1981. Anybody remember the 80s? Yeah, okay, a few of you do. Uh, yeah, and some of you don't remember the 60s because of what you were doing in the 60s. But anyway, um, but the, the 80s, uh, it was... Uh, when I was there, it was in the middle, uh, it was, we were very much in the middle of the Cold War. So there was a lot of drama, a lot, a lot more drama than we think of it today. A lot more drama with just crossing the border. And so I remember crossing the border for the first time. I remember our train 
stopping between these barbed wire fences. I've shared the story before. But I remember watching the soldiers. They surround the train. They've got guns. They've got, uh, they've got uh, these guard dogs with them. And, uh, and so I just kind of, in my mind, I thought that I was a cross between Billy Graham and uh, James Bond. And we, we can tell from this picture on the left, I was neither, all right? Uh, we can also tell from the picture on the left that I used to cut my own hair. But, <laughs> uh, but the time was great. Uh, the, the pictures, they're kind of goofy pictures, I know. Uh, the pictures, the one, on the, 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 the one that's kind of the top right there, uh, officially, officially, I've been told, officially, that, that there were no Russian soldiers in Hungary. That was the official position, all right? Now, I knew differently because I'd been by a tank base, and I had been, I saw Russian soldiers all over the place. And uh, also, officially, it was against the law to take pictures of Roman so- or, excuse me, Russian soldiers who were not officially in uh, Hungary. So we just kind of said, well, if they're not officially here, we're not really taking pictures, so there's no trouble, right? Uh, but what we did is a buddy of mine, I'm the one, the second from the right, uh, pointing at the camera, and a buddy of mine had his camera, and I'm pointing at him, and I'm yelling at him in Hungarian to, uh, to take our picture, because the guys, they're, they're Russians, they didn't know Hungarian. So I'm telling him to take our picture, so what he does is a very clever way, because you're not supposed to take pictures of them. He's framing us, and then he kind of scoots it over where he gets us and them. They were, they were posing, not for us, but for one of their buddies. But, uh, and then, I, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm wearing a, well, I know I'm wearing a, a Hungarian uh, military uniform. I'm pretty sure that was illegal for a person from America to do as well. So, uh, but, uh, but those were a little bit my, my trips, a little bit of my experience. And when I was there, uh, it was a great experience. We got to share the gospel with a lot of people. Uh, today, what I want us to do, do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through chapter 10, verse 42. We're not going to read every verse, but that's kind of the section of scripture we're looking at. And uh, in these verses, Jesus lays a foundation and instructs his disciples through his practice and his teaching and how to live his mission in our world. And so what he does is he talks with us about what does it mean to live the mission of Jesus in the mission field where he's placed us. Uh, What does the Bible say to us about living the mission of Jesus in our world? So uh, quickly, I'm just going to read through this text, Matthew chapter, beginning in chapter 9, verse 35. Uh, In Matthew chapter 9, this is immediately after Jesus. Remember, we were looking at chapters 8 and 9 together. In 8 and 9, you see these three miracles of Jesus, followed by two words on discipleship. Three miracles by Jesus, followed by two words on discipleship. Three miracles by Jesus. At this point, Jesus begins to transition his ministry, and he's focusing more on the 12. In Matthew 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Uh, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And Jesus called his twelve disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. 
These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Kill the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Okay. I'm going to share with you a couple of thoughts here. But before I dive into this, you know, one of the things that we're doing right now is we're, we're doing what we call 40 Days with Jesus. And in 40 Days with Jesus, we have our little prayer and Bible reading journal, journal that we've been working on. And a lot of us have been reading through the Gospels of Mark, and we're getting ready to start reading through the Gospel of Luke. And, uh, and, and just a, a word to you about this. Is I, I think there are two things that can make a huge difference in your life and how you grow in 2019. I think one of those is being uh, being uh, in the Word and in prayer every day with Jesus. Uh, uh, the other one is that you are consistently worshiping together with the people of God on Sundays. I believe those two things are absolutely huge to your walk with Jesus. The other thing I want to say to you is this, is every once in a while you may find yourself missing a day or missing maybe two days or missing maybe three days. Now, maybe that doesn't happen to you, but maybe it happens to someone else here. This is what I want to encourage you to do. If you get behind a couple of days, don't sweat it. Don't feel like you have to catch up. If you want to catch up, that's fine, but don't feel like you have to. Just pick up with the next day, okay? If you want to, go back, and and you can finish your 40 days in 45 days. Don't sweat it. What we want to do is we don't want to do this legalistically, but we do want to do it consistently. And really what we want is we want to create this discipline of spending time daily in the Word of God and prayer. And as we're looking at the Gospels of uh, Mark and Luke in our, our Bible reading, we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings. When you read the Scriptures, and especially the Scripture we're looking at today, you have to pay attention to context. And a lot of times, a lot of times when we're reading, I don't know if you ever do this, you read something and you're like, I don't get it. You ever do that? You're like, okay, okay, so I read that, and I kind of understand what it means, but so what? I don't, so what? Okay? I, you, we understand what it says. We kind of feel like we understand what it means, but we don't necessarily understand so what or now what? Okay? We know what it says. We think we know what it means, but we don't know the so what or the now what of the Bible. And so when you read the scriptures, one of the things you want to do, particularly in a text like this, is you want to pay attention to context. You want to pay attention to context. So we have a context. Jesus. And the twelve. There's a context. You get this? There's a context. Jesus says to them, he says, I want you to go. I don't want you to go to the Samaritans. I don't want you to go to the Gentiles. Now, some people, they hear that and they're like, well, that sounds racist. He's only interested in the Jews, all right? And and some people, they're like, well, why wouldn't he want them to go to the Gentiles? Why wouldn't he want them to go to the Samaritans? What does he have against Samaritans? What does he have against, against Gentiles? Okay? Context. Context. 
we have a second context. The second context is this. Matthew and the early church. This is the context that's very easy to miss. Sometimes what we forget is we're paying attention to the context of Jesus with his disciples, the twelve, but we're forgetting who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Trick question. Matthew. All right? Uh, Who was he writing to? The early church. Okay, you get that? All right, that's important. That's important. There's another context. I'm going to put it in orange. No, I'm not. I'm going to put it in, you know, red is a much better color because orange is the color of the Texas Longhorns. Red is the color of the Arkansas Razorbacks, the up-and-coming team. Okay, uh, there's another context. It's you and me. This is where we get to the so what, the now what. When Matthew was writing to the early church, he was writing to them about an earlier experience, Jesus with his disciples. When Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to go to the Gentiles, I don't want you to go to the Samaritans, I want you to go to the lost sheep of Israel. This is similar to me. I'm 19 years old, not now, uh, 40 years ago. I was 19 years old, and I wasn't sent to Thailand, and I wasn't sent to Japan. I was sent to the lost sheep of the Philippines. Are you with me? All right. It's a context. It's a context. Uh, The reason I want to get to that, I want to talk about that a little bit on the front end, is is that understanding how context works, understanding how they transition is important to understanding the so what, the now what. So, yeah, Jesus is instructing the twelve about a missionary journey he's sending them on. But Matthew is also writing to people about a missionary journey he sends them on. So as we read through Matthew chapter 10, you'll begin to see Jesus shift from talk about the lost sheep of Israel to talking about kings, people in authority, and Gentiles. Oh, wait a second. Didn't you just say you were sending us to the lost sheep of Israel? And we see a transition in thought that's looking forward to the mission of Jesus beyond Israel. And then finally, we get to Matthew chapter 28. And see, the readers of Matthew, Matthew and the early church, see, they didn't, just have, they didn't just have Matthew chapter 10, go to the lost sheep of Israel. They had Matthew chapter 28. This says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. By the way, nations there, Greek word, ethne, ethnos, where we get our word ethnic or ethnicity. He has sent, uh, Jesus has sent his disciples then and his disciples now, you and me, to reach out to every uh, ethnicity. To not just be comfortable in our own little group of people who look like you and look like me. So this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Two weeks from today, we're going to be a church and we're going to have a congregation that's a little bit different from this congregation. Because two weeks in a day, we're actually going to have another church that's going to worship with us. We've had a church, uh, a Filipino Baptist church, that has been worshiping here at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoons. 
And uh, 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon, two weeks from today, is the Super Bowl. And my guess is most of them will probably be worshiping in front of their TV sets. <laughs> so we're inviting them to come here and worship with us on that Sunday morning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to love and we're going to receive them. And we're going to receive them just like. So what you're going to do is you're not going to click with your friends. You're going to be warm and gracious with your friends. But you're going to be gracious and warm with everybody who walks through the doors. Why? Because that's what we value as a church. We value being relationally warm. I'm sorry, I'm completely off my message. All right? Let's get to the message part. Well, that's not up there. My notes are down here. I know what I'm doing. Okay. (laughs) We're talking about living the mission of Jesus in our world. All right? I actually did prepare a message. All right? Uh, Four lessons to live by. What does the Bible teach us about living the mission? Uh, the mission of Jesus in our world. This is what I want you to say to yourself. This is what I want you to say to your... Say this to your neighbor right now. You are a missionary. Can you do that? Okay, now say to your other neighbor, you are a missionary. All right, I want you to get this, is that you are a missionary. You have been sent by Jesus on a mission. So what we're talking about is we're not just talking about people who lived way back then. We're talking about you and me right here, right now. We are missionaries. We have been sent to a mission field, and we have certain missionary priorities that we're to live out. So what does the Bible teach us about living the mission of Jesus in our world? First two principles are really simple. I'm just going to throw them together. Number one, we need to see people through the eyes of Jesus. We need to see people through the eyes of Jesus. Every once in a while, I see people through eyes of irritation. (laughs) When I can smell certain aromas, a little pot smoking coming from maybe a neighbor, or I can hear their music and the F word is kind of generously spread into their music, and I can hear it in my house like I'm in their house. I can feel momentary irritation. I begin to look at people through the eyes of irritation instead of looking at those same people through the eyes of Jesus. We need to see people through the eyes of Jesus, and we need to love people with the heart of Jesus. What the Bible says in Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Let me tell you what's wrong with most of the talk radio that many people listen to in this church, is you spend more time listening to talk radio than you do reading your Bible. And a lot of talk radio is all about despising people who think differently, who believe differently, who act differently, uh, who look differently. What's wrong with a lot of talk radio, and what's wrong with a lot of the news media, and what's wrong with a lot of our politics is we're all about despising people who are different from us. By the way, do you know why? Do you know why? How many of y'all are familiar with the term nuns? Not N-U-N-S, okay? I'm not talking about those nuns, all right? How many of you are familiar with the term nuns, N-O-N-E-S? Anybody familiar with that term? None. Okay. Well, (laughs) that means you're a nun, okay? No. Uh, None of us are familiar with it except for Eric and myself. All right. Eric, what are the nuns? Uh, Exactly. Exactly. There's a group called the Pew Research Center. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it. They've done a lot of of research through the years. This is what they found. This is what they found. In young adults, 30 and younger, 
We have more nuns than we've ever had at any time in the history of this country. What that means is more and more young people are not affiliating with any Christian group or any religious group of any kind. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why? Four things. Four things. This is what they found in the research. Four things. Too concerned about money. Too concerned about power. Too focused on on politics and too focused on rules. Now, why is that significant and important? Because if you read your New Testament, you read through the Gospels, the religious establishment of Jesus' day, that is a pretty good description of them. They were all about money. They were all about power. They were uh, too focused on rules. Hey, you're not, you're not following the rules the way you're supposed to. You're healing someone on the Sabbath. You know what? Let's go. Let's figure out how to kill this guy because he's healing on the Sabbath. They were all about the rules. They were all about power. They were all about money. Instead of being about what matters most. The reason that some of you need to go on a 40-day fast of talk radio is because it is shaping your heart and it is shaping your mind. And you need your heart and you need your mind shaped by God's Word. You need this. You need this. And what God wants for you and what God wants for me is He wants us to see people through the eyes of Jesus and He wants us to love people with the heart of Jesus. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? It says, when He, Jesus, saw the crowds, He had compassion. Not contempt. He had compassion on them uh, because they were uh, harassed and helpless, distressed and, 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 and downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. Um. In Matthew, we've talked about this portrait of Jesus that's emerging. That Jesus is, he is, uh, you know, he, he is the, the, the true seed of Abraham. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. That he is the one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That he is the, the true son of David. He is the one who will one day rule from the throne of David forever and ever. That he is true God, true man that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, that he is the one who teaches with authority, that he is one with authority over the natural world, calming the storm. He is the one over, uh, with authority over the supernatural world, liberating the demonized, that he is the one with authority to forgive sin, and he heals the paralytic, demonstrating that. That Jesus is one with authority, and guess what he does with his authority? He serves and he sins. See, he sends his disciples and he sends you and me. In Matthew 28, we talked about that a moment ago, uh, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them immediately before that. You know what it says? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. See, Jesus, who has all authority, in that authority is sending you and me to live like missionaries. And the way we do that is by seeing people through the eyes of Jesus and loving people with the heart of Jesus. The third principle here I want to bring to your attention is this. We need to pray, we need to pray, and we need to ask God to send out workers for the harvest. We need to pray and we need to ask God to send out workers for the harvest. That He sees the multitudes, he has compassion for them, and then he says to his disciples, verse 37, The harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful. I don't know 
you know, when I was a kid growing up, I remember watching my, my grandfather, and I've talked to you about this, and my uncles, they would go out early. They, would go out, they were all farmers, and they would go out early, and they would work very hard all day. And when the harvest was ripe and when the harvest was ready to bring in, you stopped for these things, to go to the bathroom, get something to drink and eat, and then go back to work. And you worked from can to can, and you did not stop until every bit of that harvest came in. And Jesus says the harvest is what? It is plentiful. But the workers are what? You. You know, it's always been difficult. From, for 2,000 years, it has been difficult to mobilize workers. And that's the reason Jesus says in verse 37, at, or verse 38, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, we need, there's always been a need for workers. There's a need for workers. There's a need. There wasn't just a need then. There's a need today. There's a need today. You know, uh, the other day I was talking with Jen Protovinsky, and, 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 and Jen has agreed to step up and give leadership to our, uh, to our Easter egg hunt that's coming up in a few weeks. And she is, she, weeks, months, it's, it's, it's nine weeks or something like that. So whatever it is. Uh, but the, the thing is, is that ramping up to it begins now. It doesn't begin two weeks before. It begins now. And so this is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm praying for. I'm praying that God would give her a team of seven people. Seven people who love lost people. Seven people who are gifted and who are good at event planning. Seven people who are gifted, who are good at organizing, who will rally around her while she champions us, reaching out, loving and serving the people in this community that Jesus loves, serving them, building bridges of goodwill, of trust, that through whom uh, I'm praying that one or more of those people will come to know Jesus. But we need workers for the harvest. So I am praying for seven people to rally around her, and I am praying right now we have about 95 to 100 people who are, who are going through 40 days with Jesus. I'm praying we'll have 95 to 100 people who live the mission of Jesus. Because you can't follow Jesus without living the mission of Jesus. And, and I am praying that we'll have everybody in our church, will come together, work together, not everybody on the leadership team, but I'm praying that all of us will come together and do something. Why? Because, see, when Jesus looks at the multitudes of Fairfield, of Sassoon, of Travis Air Force Base, of Vacaville, when Jesus looks at the crowds, he has compassion. And I'm praying that we will have people with compassion. But what I'm praying for is I'm praying for workers for the harvest. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know, one of the people who I really value and appreciate in our church, and I value and appreciate so many of you, I really do. But one of those people that, that I, is special right now in my heart is Kimberly Brown. Because Kimberly has stepped up at a time. Listen to this, okay? Kimberly didn't step up to lead our children's ministry because she has more time than anybody else in this room. That's not why she did it. She didn't step up to lead our children's ministry because she has more time. Because this is what Kimberly has. She has a full-time job. She has a full-time job. She has a degree program working on her master's degree. She has a husband. She has a daughter. And she has a baby that's on the way. But she has enthusiastically stepped up, and she has said, I am not too busy 
to serve. And she is leading our children's ministry. And by the way, we have some other fantastic people. And so I am praying. I am praying for four. I'm praying for, well, I'm praying for fantastic people who love Jesus, who will love our kids, who will teach them what it looks like to be a full-time follower of Jesus. You can have fantastic programs. We want fantastic people. And that's what I'm praying for. As I'm praying for fantastic people who will step up. I'm, I'm praying for four teachers for Adventure Zone and eight workers. I'm praying for four teachers, four workers for Surge. I'm praying for eight workers to come alongside uh, Tiffany Smith in our nursery. But I'm praying for workers. Why? Because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for the harvest. I'm praying for Matt. I'm praying for Matt. I'm praying for our young people next week. A lot of our young people, our middle school, high school kids, are going to be going up to, to Silver Spur. Wow. 42 years ago, I went to an event just like what they're getting ready to go on. And that's where my life changed. That's when I began to follow Jesus. I'm praying this would be a life-changing encounter for the young people who go there. But I'm also praying with Matt for eight workers, eight workers who will come along, and leaders who will come alongside him to lead our student ministries. Because I'm praying, to be honest with you, I'm praying for the future leadership of our church. I'm praying for the future leadership of our church. One of the things that God has always blessed us with, we have always had a lot of fantastic female leadership. But one of the things that we always have to work on is fantastic male leadership. And when I, one of the things that I am praying for right now is that I've been leading this church and we've been going at this for about 25 years now. I'm praying for the men who are going to lead our church the next 25 years. I'm praying that God will raise up 10 young men in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s that I can invest in, that I can encourage that we can empower to lead our church for the next 25 years. But I am praying for that. I am praying for workers for the harvest. You know why? Because the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right here this morning, we're maybe, I don't know, 80, 90 people. There are tens of thousands of people in this community who don't know Jesus. And they're not, in this church, And the vast majority of them, about 90%, are not in any church. And they need the hope that you have and I have. And so I'm praying for workers for the harvest. And what I want to ask you to do is I'm asking you to pray with me for workers. Because you know what happens when people pray? Jesus answers. And that's what I'm praying for. Fourth principle I want you to get from this text. Fourth principle is this. We need to live the mission of Jesus with courage. Now, remember, we started this, and I was talking to you about context, and I was talking to you about how Jesus sent the 12 out to the lost sheep of Israel. And in in the book of Matthew, I talked to you about how Matthew was speaking to people about being missionaries, not just to the lost sheep of Israel, but making disciples of all the nations. In the same way, God has sent you, and God has sent me, to be missionaries in Fairfield, in Sassoon, at Travis Air Force Base, in Backerville. God has sent us to be missionaries, but he's not just sending us to be missionaries. He's sending us to be courageous missionaries. When you read through Matthew chapter 10, it's just kind of interesting. As you, you go along and you read about, hey, he says things like, I'm sending you out. Uh, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You know what that means? 
when you're sent out like a sheep among wolves, you know what that means? It means that you may find yourself in dangerous circumstances with dangerous people. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Unfortunately, some of us are as innocent as snakes and shrewd as doves. Just kidding. Just kidding. Not, nobody in this room. Nobody in this room. Maybe just me, all right? But what God wants is that, you know, here's the thing is, is this mission field is not going to be easy. In fact, he says, brother will betray brother to death. And don't be surprised if you're betrayed by the people you love most. Uh, he, he says things like, the, teacher's not, uh, the student is not above his teacher. And basically where he's going with this little phrase is this. He's, he's saying this is that, hey, hey, guess what? If it didn't go well for me and I'm your teacher, don't be surprised if it doesn't go well for you as the student. Uh, he says things like this. He says, verse 26, so do not be afraid of them. He's sending us out. It's a dangerous mission. And he says this, do not be afraid of them. Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Verse 31, so do not be afraid. I'm trying to figure out what on earth is Jesus trying to say to us? Maybe it's don't be afraid. See, I think one of the things that gets in the way of living your life like a missionary more than anything else, maybe not for you, but it has for me. There have been so many times in my life where I have felt afraid. You know, it's so funny. When I was a young man, I was going, crossing the border from uh, Austria into Hungary and was surrounded by the soldiers and the guns. And and there were different situations. I found myself at at times where, you know, I was up front and face-to-face with guys carrying guns and, one time I was in the southern part of the country in a place where a lot of people made their way from other parts of Eastern Europe into Hungary and from Hungary into Yugoslavia, and then they would cross over into Italy. I remember one time we got stopped. I was in a car. We got stopped in a, a car down by the border, and they stopped people because they knew people were trying to make their way out of there. I was close to a very, very, uh, very close to a Soviet uh, tank base. It was huge, okay? In other words, this is not a place where Americans are supposed to be. They stopped us. Guess what? You remember the kid with the cap who looked kind of goofy? He looked kind of goofy because he was kind of goofy, all right? I was down there. I forgot my passport. They checked everybody in their car for their identification except for, guess who? The goofy guy, all right? Maybe it was the uh, Hungarian uniform. They thought I was really a soldier. I don't know. You know, here's the thing is, is that, that I have been in situations like that, that that some people might feel are intimidating. Sometimes the most intimidating situations I find myself in are, are not where I confront any kind of physical danger. It's more the kind of thing of where I'm afraid that, you know, I'm afraid that I might offend someone if I talk to him about Jesus. Do, do you know what that feels like? I mean, the, the kind of fears I tend to have are much more it's just basic insecurity. But what I keep seeing and hearing from Jesus to me is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God wants us to be courageous missionaries in our community. I'm getting to the end quickly. You notice how I just went through several pages of notes. Um, How is being a missionary different from going on a mission trip? 
And how is going on a mission trip different from being a missionary? You can, you can go on a mission trip without being a missionary. You can do that. You can go on a mission trip, and it can be like a glorified vacation. That, that does happen. Uh, you can go on a mission trip without being a missionary, and you can be a missionary without going on a mission trip. You can be a missionary right here. But one thing I want you to understand is this. You cannot follow Jesus without being a missionary. You cannot follow Jesus without being a missionary. Because Jesus has sent us on a mission. So we need to see people through the eyes of Jesus. We need to love people with the heart of Jesus. We need to pray and ask God to send out workers for the harvest. And we need to live the mission of Jesus with courage. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you are a missionary God. We are grateful that when um, you are a holy God, you're a holy God, you are righteous in all of your judgments. Uh, and, and God, we, we uh, are a people who, um, who were lost, who were lost in our own sin. Some of us maybe still are. But, but God, you are a loving and gracious and merciful God. And, and you're a missionary God who sent your son on mission to, uh, to be a sacrifice, uh, to, to, uh, to, to sacrifice his life for our lives, to suffer on the cross for our sins. Lord, what we want to do is we don't want to be missionaries who are driven by guilt. We don't want that at all because it just doesn't work. What we want is we want to be people who see, we, we see Jesus as Jesus is in the book of Matthew, but we want to see people with the eyes of Jesus. We want to be people who are driven by the compassion of Jesus, not by guilt. And God, what we want to do is we want to learn to pray the way you taught us to pray. We want to pray, not so much for career advancement and all those kinds of things, but what we want to pray for is we want to pray for the advancement of your kingdom in our community. And God, we want to be people who pray and ask you for workers for the harvest and, 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 and that we get to see you answer that prayer. God, we want that. We want to see what that kind of answered prayer looks like uh, in this church, in our community. And God, what we want to do is, is we also want to be people who courageously live the mission of Jesus. Lord, I confess to you how much I struggle with fear and insecurity and afraid of what someone might think of me. And Lord, help me to get over myself and help me to get over all my fears and insecurities and help me to focus more just on loving the people that you love and serving them and pointing them to you. And God, I pray that will be something that we do as a church. I commit this to you in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.